0: Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Rothheis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence. I am your host and so far only guest on this program. I am Professor of Philosophy at Denver Seminary. I start my 31st year this fall. Also the author of 18 Soon to Be 19 books. And a lot of my intellectual career, much of my calling, has had to do with the discipline of apologetics that I understand as the task of showing Christianity to be objectively true, compellingly rational, and pertinent to the whole of life. I have a big apologetics textbook with a not-so-jazzy title, Christian Apologetics. To that end, to make that case, that came out in a second edition in two thousand. It has eight new chapters added to the first edition, uh, which came out in 2011. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I was giving an interview recently, and someone reminded me of an article I wrote many years ago, I think going back to the 1990s, called Six Enemies of Apologetic Engagement. I'd like to revisit that article and add a few comments to it because no matter how strong the case for Christianity is, unless Christians go out into the marketplace of ideas and communicate the Christian message, no one will be convinced. And years ago, I isolated six reasons. I think there are more. Why Christians do not get involved in this necessary and significant and really meaningful endeavor. So, I will read this short article and probably amplify a few things, maybe correct or update a few things as well. Six Enemies of Apologetic Engagement The evangelical world today suffers from apologetic anemia. Despite the fact that Holy Scripture calls us to give a reason for the hope we have in Christ, 1 Peter 3.15, we sadly lack a public voice for truth and reason in the marketplace of ideas. We do not have a strong intellectual presence in popular or academic culture, although some areas, such as philosophy, are more influenced by evangelicals than others. I think here of the rise of the society of Christian philosophers and especially the evangelical philosophical society. The reasons for this anemia are multidimensional, and, complex. and I should add that since this article came out, which was in, I think, about the late 1990s, there has been an explosion of interest in Christian apologetics with many ministries, various MA programs in apologetics, such as you can find at Denver Seminary or Talbot or Houston Christian University. So things have improved, I believe, but there's still a long way to go. Three recent books, at least recent when I wrote this article, explore the lack of a Christian mind in contemporary evangelicalism, and I highly recommend them. Mark Knowles The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, Erdman's 1994, explores the historical roots of evangelical anti-intellectualism. Haas Guinness's book, Fit Bodies, Fat Minds, Baker Books, 1994, discusses some of the historical problems and also outlines what a Christian mind might look like. J.P. Moreland's book, Love Your God With All Your Mind, Nav Press, 1997, explains why Christians don't think, develops a biblical theology of the mind, and offers helpful apologetic arguments and strategies to empower the Church intellectually. J.P. Moreland's book, Love Your God With All Your Mind, has been revised and updated in a 2013 edition. If you can, get both editions, because some things were left out of the 2013 edition that I think are are very worthwhile. My modest proposal is to briefly lay out six factors that illegitimately inhibit apologetic engagement today. If these barriers are removed, our apologetic witness may grow into what it should be in Jesus Christ in his power, in his wisdom, in his presence. 1. Indifference Too many Christians don't seem to care that Christianity is routinely ridiculed as outdated, irrational, and narrow-minded and bigoted in our culture. They may complain that this offends them, just as everyone else is complaining that one thing or another offends them but they do little to counteract the charges by offering a defense of the Christian worldview in a variety of settings. Yet Scripture commands all Christians to have a reason for the hope that is within them and to present this with gentleness and respect to unbelievers. First Peter 3.15 Our attitude should be that of the Apostle Paul, who was greatly distressed when he beheld the idolatry of sophisticated Athens. This zeal for the truth of God led him into a fruitful apologetic encounter with the thinkers gathered to debate new ideas. See Acts 17, verses 13, rather verses 16, through the end of the chapter. It should for us as well. Just as God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to set us right with God, John 3.16, Jesus' disciples should so love the world that they endeavor to reach the lost by presenting the gospel and answering objections to the Christian faith. So, get some fire in your bones about what matters most, people. 2. The obstacle of irrationalism For some, for some Christians, faith means belief in the absence of evidence and argument. Worse yet, for some, faith means belief in spite of evidence to the contrary. The more irrational our beliefs, the better. The more spiritual they are. Although Paul teaches in First Corinthians 1 and 2 that God makes foolish the wisdom of this world because it is false wisdom, God's revelation is not irrational, nor must belief be irrationally held. God does not require us to suspend our critical faculties in order to believe what He has made known. Through Isaiah, God declares to Israel, Come, let us reason together. Isaiah one eighteen. Jesus commanded us to love God with all of our minds. Matthew 22.37 When Christians opt for irrationalism, they become just another religious option and are classified along with various cults and the Flat Earth Society, and other intellectually impaired groups. In the wake of the Heaven's Gate suicide cult—this happened in the late 1990s—several major magazines, such as Esquire Newsweek and U.S. News & World Report, claim that the faith of those who ended their life, in accordance with Marshall Applewhite's science fiction religion, were no stranger than Christians who believe ridiculous things as well. Sadly, the behavior of some Christians gives impetus to such accusations. I was recently going through some folders of my letters to the editor, and I wrote a letter to, I believe, Esquire, challenging uh, their claim that all Christians are as irrational as people who commit suicide so they can be united with the UFO people. Third barrier, ignorance. Many Christians are not aware of the tremendous intellectual resources available to defend the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, Jude 3. This is largely because many major churches and parachurch organizations virtually ignore apologetics. One major campus ministry with a fine history and an otherwise splendid program offers no materials to help students deal with the unbelief emanating from their secular professors. I should add here that since I wrote this article, a ministry has sprung up with the express purpose of bringing apologetics to secular and other campuses, and that is called Ratio Christi, fine organization. Few evangelical sermons ever address the evidence for the existence of God, the resurrection of Jesus, the logic of the atonement, the justice of hell, the supremacy of Christ, or the logical problems with non world Christian worldviews. Be- Christian bestsellers, with rare exceptions, indulge in groundless apocalyptic speculations, exalt Christian celebrities whose characters often do not fit their notoriety, and revel in how to methods. You can tell much about a movement by what it reads and by what it does not read. Fourth obstacle, cowardice. In our pluralistic culture, a live-and-let-live attitude is the norm. And a capitulation to social pressure haunts evangelicals and drains its convictions. Let me add now, speaking in 2023, that this live-and-let-live attitude is more rare given cancel culture and the kind of hostilities to Christianity that we see. Too many evangelicals are more concerned about being nice and tolerant than being biblical or faithful to the exclusive gospel found in their Bibles. Not enough evangelicals are willing to present and defend the faith in challenging situations, whether at school, at work, or in other public settings or online. The temptation is to privatize faith to insulate and isolate it from public life entirely. Yes, we are Christians in our hearts, but we have difficulty engaging anyone with what we believe and why we believe it. This is nothing less than cowardice and a betrayal of what we say we believe. Consider Paul's inspired request for prayer and his admonition to us. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 2, verses 2-6 through We may experience rejection, but Jesus called those who are persecuted for His namesake, blessed. He said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, verses 11-12 The Apostle Peter echoes his Master, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory in God rests on you first peter four fourteen On the other hand, when the Holy Spirit blesses our efforts, people will respond with interest and even saving faith. See Romans one sixteen, which speaks of the power of the gospel to all who believe. We must never forget that Jesus has all authority. In heaven and on earth, that covers it, and that he has commissioned us to declare and defend the gospel. See Matthew twenty-eight eighteen 18-20, fifth obstacle or barrier to apologetic engagement. At the other end of the spectrum, an error lies in the arrogance of the know-it-all apologist who is more interested in displaying his or her arsenal of arguments than in defending the truth in a godly and humble manner. The besetting sin of apologetics is intellectual pride, and it must be avoided at all costs. The truth we defend is a gift of grace, not our intellectual achievement. I think of Paul saying, what do you have that you have not been given by God? We develop our apologetic skills to sanctify ourselves in the truth, to win souls for Christ, and to glorify God. We must speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 Truth without love is arrogance. Love without truth is mere sentimentality. Arrogance also occurs when some apologists accuse other believers of heresy without sufficient evidence. Paul told the early church leaders to expect heresy in its midst and to be on their guard against it. See Acts twenty verses 28-31, through 31. we should do the same. However, we must be vigilant not to slander fellow Christians or to assume the worst about them. I know of this error firsthand, having myself once been accused of being of all things New Age, because a critic horribly misread one portion of my anti-New Age book called Unmasking the New Age. Let's not waste our apologetic energies attacking other believers when real heretics cry out for refutation and correction. Sixth obstacle, superficial techniques or schlock apologetics. Some who get excited about apologetics may become content with superficial answers to difficult intellectual questions. Our culture revels in rapid responses to most anything, and technique is king. This is the glibness of our society. Some Christians memorize pat answers to apologetic questions, such as the problem of evil or the creation-evolution controversy, which they dispense without a proper engagement of the issues and without an empathic concern for the soul that raises the question. I once saw a little book called something like The Handy-Dandy Evolution Refuter. Yes, macroevolution is, I believe, false and can be refuted. Very good arguments have been raised against it, both from nature and from Scripture. But the matter is not as simplistic as the title of the book makes it sound. And I have about 50 pages on Darwinism and intelligent design in my book, Christian Apologetics. Apologetics must be done with intellectual integrity and no bluffing allowed. Francis Schaeffer's apologetic motto was that we must give honest questions, excuse me, honest answers to honest questions. First, we must really hear the question being asked or the objection being raised. To use a term from jazz, we need big ears. In jazz, you need to listen to what the other musicians are playing because You respond to them. It's an improvisational art form. And in apologetics as well, we need big ears. We must get inside the minds of those who are giving reasons for not following Christ. Each person is different. No matter how common some skeptical objections may be, don't reduce people to cliches. Second, respond to what you hear. Don't answer a question that was not asked. Such a superficial approach will not impress the thoughtful unbeliever. If you cannot come up with a sound answer to the objection at the time, don't try to hide your ignorance or inability. Honestly, admitting your limitations is better than giving a shoddy answer. Again, no bluffing allowed. No BS allowed. Tell the person that that is a good point and you need to think more about it or refer them to someone who could answer the question better than you could, or recommend a book on the subject. Christianity is absolutely true, but this doesn't imply that any one Christian can handle absolutely any objection raised against it. We should avoid apologetic techniques, and instead develop intellectual resources and cultivate real dialogue with unbelievers. And when I say avoid technique, I mean avoid any kind of artificial or simplistic approach. We do need to have a solid, sound apologetic method, and I spent some time on that in my book, Christian Apologetics. The great counter apologist Walter Martin rightly said that the evangelical church was a sleeping giant, and he endeavored mightily to awaken it to its God-given potential to present the gospel and defend it against skeptical and cultic objections. With this legacy in mind, may we rekindle this vision and find the passion and wisdom to put it into effect through the power of the Holy Spirit. See Acts eight. This has been Truth Tribe with Douglas Grotheis, Professor of Philosophy at Denver Seminary. If you'd like to know more about me, and if you'd like a lot of free resources, please go to my website at douglasgroheist.com. You'll also find a way of contacting me. I can offer a variety of different seminars to your church or Christian organization, or perhaps be involved in a debate, or write an article for your organization. So please contact me there, and please tell your friends about this program. Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth about what matters most through a reason and evidence. Thanks for listening. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.